Are you all ready to join me today in our trip to outer space? Come along quietly or not. I will talk to you of art. For there is nothing else. Some artists make a And we decided, Bondy decided we was all going to be flower children. See, he played the guitar and he had all these old records by Iron Butterfly, way before any rock and roll in this kind of business. So we found these big old yellow flowers, sunflower decals, and we put them on the side of the car and we put them up on the pit board and put it up on the uh, pole in the pits. And this was a Ford factory car now. And all the Ford people were looking at that thing. You know, we had these flower powers. And we was going to get over to all these people that we were peace. You know, we, we believed in peace, and that was the kind. And, you know, Yates, he was looking at that deal, man. He was just shaking his head. And we said, well, it was the new us. You know, we, we, were, we were at peace with the world. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Planters Podcast. I am, always will be, and always have been, Albert Shivers. And thank you again for listening or watching. Either way, on this episode, I have Roy Hannon on as the guest. He and I talk a lot about music, him being a musician and music producer himself. And he's involved in all sorts of very cutting-edge kind of music things. And we also talk about the difference in feeling and energy between a live show and listening to music at home. So it was a fun conversation. It was good to talk to Roy again. You may remember, Roy was on the show, like, episode, like, five or six. So he was on way in the beginning, so it was good to have him back on now and see that he was doing good. But before we get to Roy, I'm going to give you some updates about what I've been up to. First of all, this is the first podcast of 2021. So, Happy New Year and all that jazz. So I did this over the holiday so this is a recreation of a wreck that stock car driver junior johnson had on the beaches of daytona and an interesting story about this is that junior johnson escaped from his car as it was rolling at him so this is a photo of him running away from his car as it rolls towards him and then i just added my own doodads and shiveriness to it as you can see and there's you know a good amount of drippage and stippling kind of thing going on in that and also I'm working on this lady who will be mainly done in completely done in ink and mainly done with all the dots stippling or pointism but yeah this is all gonna be done with the dots Let's bring her a little bit, it's hard to, you know, there's mics and stuff, but you get the idea. So that's what I'm going to be working on. I'm um, going to be trying to be doing more submitting to publications lately. I think that's going to be a little bit of a new direction for me. I think the gallery thing, the traditional gallery thing is roundabout dead. That's my feeling. I think that... um. In every other form of art, there's a little bit more of a concrete way 
to decide good and bad. A bad singer is a bad singer. You know, a bad actor is a bad actor. You know, if, if I, if I, you know, write a bad song, it's like, oh, that's a bad song. But I'll put it to you this way even better. Everything is subjective in art, right? But visual art world, it makes it a lot easier to backtalk and backpedal your bad art into good art. Throw, you know, oh, it's abstract or oh, it's da da da. Look, I've seen so much BS, just pure BS, hung on the walls of art galleries that I just have to, I have to laugh. And I, you know, just, oh my God, terrible. Just like, what am I even doing? <laughs> but point being, um, I want to start going towards more publication thing and, and more music related art. Ever since I was a little kid, I've mentioned it on the show before, but I was super into record covers and I'd like to do more of those. I did an album cover. Let's see if I can get it out without this being an avalanche. No, no avalanche. Cool. I had done this album cover for Jerry Fells and the Jerry Fells. So it was my art. But this was a long, this was a, a while ago. This was a while ago. Here we go. So I'd like to get back to doing more of this kind of thing. Here, let's look at the, I like the back. This funny alien chick. And then the CD. So this was a long, I'm trying to look at the date here. Tuning, so I probably drew these, this is like, this is like five years ago, six years ago um, that I was drawing. This is really when I decided to start pursuing art completely. And um, so this was early on. And you can see like things aren't, they're not drawing the greatest, but this was my first professional endeavor. So I keep it for posterity and, and memory and nostalgia. But I want to start moving more in that direction, as I said before, with a gallery, no matter what. No matter what, you are going to be at the whim of one person. One person. And that's the person who owns the gallery. And no matter what anybody says, if if you own your own place, you're going to hang up what you like. So you're at that whim. And your talent, at whatever level, because I've seen amazingly... Talented artists, both painters, drawers, collagists, be turned down by galleries who'd be lucky to have them. Okay? And I've, I've seen it happen. I'm like, man, like you're not going to put this person in? So, it's... Now, this year has really helped me to learn this, but for anybody doing artsy stuff, like now is the time. This is the era to just be way more do-it-yourself and just tackle it on your own because I mean really I look this I know this is going to go against every artist who may be listening or watching 
I know this. But what are art galleries really doing for us? As an artist who loves to draw more than anything else, what are what are, what's really happening here? You know? Because they're just set up to hmm. They're just they're you know what it is, is they're they're building a bigger gap between the audience and the art. What do I mean by that? Well, think about how many graffiti artists there are that have become very popular. That says something. What does it say? It says that in this generation, in this time, the artist has to bring the art to the people. Okay? Graffiti art, stenciling, is bringing the art to the person. You're not making the person come to you. You're not saying, come to the gallery, come to my website, come to my Instagram. No. You're plopping that art right in their face as everybody goes. As they go by on the bus, as they're walking to CVS, as they're kicking their dog down the road, their art is right there. And I think that that says a lot about people's willingness to go to an art gallery, an outside person's willingness to go to an art gallery. Because every gallery has the same little circle of schmucks, big or small. It's the same people who all stand in a circle with one another. And it never grows. And what's going to happen? We're just all just going to keep trading and buying our own art? No, that's not the goal here. The goal here is for eyeballs and a little bit of appreciation. So... My phone just distracted me. Damn it, I was really on a roll there. Um, uh, maybe it's better I just leave it at that. Then Maybe the phone is telling me to shut up. But I think that visual artists who are really taking it seriously and really want to do it because they love to do it and they want some eyeballs, we have to bring the art to people. Don't expect them to come to see it anymore. Because galleries are getting stuffier and stuffier, and the art is getting worse and worse. Okay? That's all I got to say about that. On other notes, the Instagram stuff is going good. At Albert Shivers, and I have a new Instagram page that combines 70s exploitation and racing called NASCAR Pulp. Now, it's not just stock car racing. I throw in other forms of racing, too. But... My little tagline is the grit, sleaze, and speed of NASCAR and motorsports from then to now. But it's mainly then because I play on that whole 70s thing. So that's my Instagram for my art and my videos at Albert Shivers. The other Instagram at NASCAR Pulp. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you're already here. But if you're listening, the Albert Shivers YouTube channel. Look. It's 2021. Everything's going crazy. You might as well just do what you want to do. You might as well just enjoy yourself. Because who knows? It could be later than we think. So just enjoy yourself. So I'm going to be putting out tons of videos. Kicking ass. Probably going to try to do two videos a week of some kind. To just keep throwing things at you. In case you enjoy hearing me ramble on. The same way I'm rambling on right now. 
But on that note, we're going to jump to Roy and my conversation with him. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll talk to you on the other side of it. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Plant Shivers Podcast, and I am excited to have an original guest from the show back on, Roy Hannon. It's great to have you back on the show. I'm glad to see you. Thanks, Al. Thanks so much. I'm really excited to be back. We always cover a lot of good stuff, and I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So we decided to go into today or start off with the topic of um, taken from the title of a Dylan song, The Times They Are Changing, and they sure are this year. It feels like um, it's been a decade since March, almost, um, with everything that's going on. And amongst all the people who were affected by this, which is just about everybody, uh, musicians definitely took a hit during this time, especially independent musicians. And um, that's what we we could start off talking about here so right. yeah. what um what are some things you've noticed about the well i think um uh the, of course the biggest thing is obviously the direction uh going forward to where does a musician go from here yeah. and it's bleak uh as you know um the you know many venues depending on where you are you know, there's no local, in many cases, very limited local exposure, especially in the last two months. Again, we've gotten back took a couple of steps back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know in different parts of the country, uh, there are, they have had, I don't know if it's going to last, the, you know, some local establishments are able to perform. But uh, here in our area, it's been a specific, very bleak. I'm in Connecticut. Uh, near New York City in Greenwich, and it's been a very tough slide. So that kind of income was very important to smaller, you know, gigs, so to speak, uh, very important to uh, musicians to help make ends meet. Um, the um, And it's kind of forced us back into uh, more or less looking to record more uh, at home, uh, which I've gotten into to adjust. Mm-hmm. We have a new um, we have a new platform structure on SoundClick that's actually been doing very well. SoundClick is a platform. It's uh, largely for um, emerging artists. It's 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 not the Billboard 100, mm-hmm. but every day uh, you chart against. Uh, in our my case, I I'm in the classification of a blues player. So um, we we track against sixty thousand other blues tracks that are on SoundClick, mm-hmm. and the guy who gets the most hits gets the gets the uh, the winner's prize. We've have had a number one song recently that went, which mm-hmm. was nice. However, it's monetarily other than for promoting, it's not particularly. Um, you know, there is no real. Uh, monetary gain there. So right. if you try to make a living as a musician, you got a tough road on that. Even though you're, you know, you got some some product. Um, we're I'm working now with a couple of people. We're 
specialized in creating fan clubs mm-hmm. for smaller musicians. Uh, usually, there's a group, maybe two, three, four hundred people that if you're a musician and you post a lot, you'll eventually attract. And most musicians don't have the time or the ability to develop those. So um, one of the embryonic things we're doing is trying to assist in that uh, modem, so a medium, so that, for instance, the the fans hopefully will can be induced if they really like your music for personal attention, maybe buy a T-shirt, buy a mm. CD from you as a signed CD, as a little, you know, kind of memento, or things that you would not normally do, you know, if you're just going on to Spotify or Amazon Music and right. you just watch it this one time, uh, they give you a minimal, <laughs> I mean, really minimal of pay-per-view. So I don't know too many smaller and independent musicians have done well in that medium. Some have, but it's usually very short-lived because you got to continually get views to create income, you know, there. Right. And they don't pay you much per view, so it's a big effort. And usually it economically doesn't really pay off too much in terms of developing revenue. But the fan clubs, I think, are a an asset because um, hopefully you can produce some revenue for, you know, uh, based on that. Mm-hmm. And that your fans will, in fact, support you a bit and you can have special you know little concerts for them or you can you know just personalize it a lot and um so it's embryonic we're looking into that and i'm yeah. working in that score because uh i would love to see and have you know part of my life's work has been to try to see how the smaller to uh, you know modestly uh, known independent musician can serve you know can survive yeah uh and it's these types of things are needed to especially now in covid to overcome the income loss that yeah. the old normal well i played down at uh, this place on saturday and another gig on sunday and you know you got a little revenue coming in to right. help uh, so um but i think that's one avenue yeah. that will be hopefully worth pursuing because that doesn't take a tremendous amount of promotion. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, to to start to go with. So it's a, and the fans don't. If the fans support you and buy a few things there during the year, uh, it it can work out pretty well. And they that can they can show a little bit of their support. And right. again, um, I think that is important because we got to keep the creativity going. Right now, many musicians are almost hobbyists. Yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> It's nowhere to go and no place to go. Now, if you're on the upper tier, sure, you know your 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 uh, record label or whatever you call it will cut the deal with larger uh, platforms like Spotify, Amazon, you know, all these different platforms that you can go to to watch music on subscription or you know whatever just for free. Yeah. Uh, the um, uh, and they get much better situation but that's because they deliver huge numbers consistently right and you have that kind of machine behind you you don't have too much chance yeah and then of course the other thing is there'll be a lot and there have been i mean among the major 
stars. I mean, yeah, you can do your, you know, uh, TV and, you know, your networks might pick you up on specials or stuff like But that is a, you know, there's only so many who have achieved that kind of status. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's very hard, you know, to, 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 to even think about that mm -hmm. in the normal scheme of things, you know. But, uh, the, and then, of course, the next question is, how long is it going to last? I mean, right. uh, that's the, the great unknown, you know. So, um, it, is a, it is a depressive time. Yeah. And it's funny, during hardship times, music often does very well because it relieves us and, and transforms us from our current, you know, focus on worry and fear and doubt a little bit, right. at least of minutes and changes your mood yeah i think it's healthy mm. but uh, uh this one it's hard and it, it comes especially good when you you see somebody live perform uh as good as the tech the technology is today uh there's still nothing the same as seeing a live performer right in my in any way oh yeah play for you uh you know listening to him on or her on um you know it's it's uh, 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 recording gives you something, but doesn't give you a transference mm -hmm. of emotion and passion as easily. And I think that's part of the listening process or part of the overall um, uh, mystique, if you want to call it that, of music. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a power in this. And I think anybody <laughs> can relate to that. I do. I go to some. Uh, to, well, we used to be able to go out, right. uh, but you can really resonate, and you don't get the same resonation just by watching a video on YouTube or anyway, or just listening to the music. It's there's losing a dimension. So I think it's an important thing to get back to, for the benefit of all, all mankind, so to right. speak. Not too global, but I think music is ingrained in just about every, uh, you know. Uh, society of some yeah. kind and it's very important it's it's more i think you notice the absence when it's gone you notice it much more easily than when it's there and you kind of take it for granted but so right. hopefully something will return uh eventually with the new i don't know whatever they're going to do vaccines or whatever right and i certainly pray for that i mean we don't this has been a major dislocation I don't recall in my lifetime, I and mean, I'm going to be 74, anything quite like this. Yeah. It's, it's its own unique, uh, and the total absence of socialization is, you know, a, a big deal. So yeah. even though it's necessary, perhaps, you know, uh, it's still a big, a big change. And right. um, so let's open pray a little bit, I suppose, for better times. Uh, unless uh, and hopefully this too shall pass you know but yeah. there are some things like I've said that we're looking at it as an embryonic uh, basis the mm -hmm. good news though is technology is much better yeah. and uh, our whole uh, which I'll, I'll share the website info later but our whole uh, structure has been done by simply um, our platform is all done now through cell phone recording, yeah. uh, uh, there's no video involved, but um, and it's I uh, I'm currently uh, working with another artist in 
Germany called D.D. Van Fritz. And uh, D.D. and I have never met each other personally, but we like each other's music, and we started transatlantic collaboration, so we call ourselves the Sledgehammers. Okay. And that's our, that's our, uh, our, uh, our platform site name. And uh, we do a lot of unique stuff, some unique blues, uh, some covers, uh, some covers that we adapt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do gospel. We do a little bit of everything. It's just, but it, it has an old-time flavor, but with a newer, fresher image, I guess, the way I would describe it. So, um, But we've been able to do that very inexpensively. Now, in the past, you used to have to go to studios and... You know, it was an, it was a big endeavor, right? Uh, expense and time, yeah. And it allows you. So I will say that the the advances in technology are truly encouraging. Okay, and it allows a lot of things to be able to be done where you would never have it before. Right. And I think that's one of the things in the times they are changing theme. It is good for. Uh, plus, the music is preserved, and yeah. that's important too. Uh, yeah. I know you. Much of your work is about, you know, uh, older as well as newer uh, genres and mm-hmm. art and music, and um, so it's a good it's a good thing that we're preserving this. Yeah. And uh, you know, versus a lot of music was lost in the past, and now it's at least somewhere, uh, yeah. which is good. Yeah. You know. I had been given a tour of um, at the local college here. They have a, a room of records, yeah. and they have um, a man there who pretty much he he you know he runs that that section of the library. He looks over the curator. That was the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, and he had thrown a fact at me that was surprising in terms of preserved music which is that of all the music recorded pre-digital, okay, so like before CDs, all the music recorded pre-digital, only 19% of that music made the transition and was changed to digital. Right. Which is a staggering statistic to me because yes. in the way my mind works, and this was, this was a statement of maybe 10 years ago, so there could be more now, but that really made my mind think about the treasure trove of things that are still out there. And that's another, what I feel is a benefit of the digital age, is that we've not only been able to preserve what's new, but just as much as we can going back. You know, yes. I mean, it's almost an endless rabbit hole to dive into, no matter what kind of music you're interested in. You know, whether it's jazz or blues or rock, you know, like there's, it's all like right there. It's as easy as it's ever been to find, you know, yes. which it unfortunately you know, it eliminates music stores. It eliminates record stores. Yeah, which we is talked a, about that, I think, a long time ago in our first yeah. interview, the demise of the record store and that. That was it. But you're right. You're right. It's changed that. But. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, but I was just... Oh, no, no, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword because we have all this right here on a computer. But the, as you were saying, the, the personal, the interpersonal thing of either going to a store and hanging out at the record store or like that is gone. 
you know, yes. and so, and the fact that, you know, playing a record or a CD is more physical than yes. clicking the button. So yes. it is, like, there's some positives to it and some negatives to it. Yes, yes, that's true. That's absolutely yeah. true. The negative, right, is, and we've talked about it, is yes, the lack of personal, I call it transference. Mm -hmm. It's a transference of the emotion. And yeah. it's an amazing thing I've seen, and I, I'm sure we all have. Your emotions are transferred by the presence in a live audience with other people around mm -hmm. and watching a live performer. I mean, that's why people go crazy at concerts and other things. It's just so intense. And you feel it. It's a force. Yeah. And just, you know, watching it. It's true in film, too. Uh <laughs> I remember going way back, I don't know if there's too many anymore, but there used to be some really big screen, Radio City type uh, music hall uh, type screens, huge, uh, that I used to go back down to uh, in Manhattan. And I saw like Lawrence of Arabia there, and mm -hmm. I saw uh, Jaws, these yeah. kind of things. And they had these sound systems going and they have these huge screen. And uh, you, you just immerse yourself into the 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 whole experience. And right. then, but I was watching some of the stuff, you know, that I used to go to on old, you know, some of the old stuff. It doesn't have near the impact. I, even if you have a good sound system and all, right. yes, but it's not the same. You get a certain group. Um, transference there in the group itself and I can remember sitting with everybody was reacting to it and yeah. I think that a certain unknown type of communication that okay. uh, or undefined or unstudied but it's definitely there I mean I've mm. seen that all my life yeah. and I think it's hopefully something that we can get back to with music at least because that's my forte's music but right. um, anyway it is a powerful and important thing. Yeah. So let me let's, let me ask you this: um, in that vein of thinking of transference, um, what were some shows where you experienced that? Um, well, I used to go. I saw uh, uh, <laughs> there was a great uh, for people around New York area. Uh, the Jones Beach theater mm -hmm. it was out in summer and it was they would have it was not a small venue i'll tell you two stories okay. that are quick about my i was hanging out then i was kind of young and i was hanging out with a couple of guys who were musicians and they actually had a gig uh at oh, not a whole they were going to be a cover act for i forget who it was was maybe chuck Berry, somebody real big Okay. was coming in, I, I, this is like 60 years ago, well, like right, maybe 55 years ago, I can't remember who it was. But what happened was, uh, the guys asked me to come down, I was just, I was just in the, hanging out with them in the backstage, I wasn't performing at all right. with them. Uh, and so, all of a sudden, they get a call, their, their lead, uh, their rhythm guitarist, uh, this is home with the stomach flu or whatever he had, he absolutely could not. So I had sat in and jammed with a couple of these guys in the past. So they were looking around, what are we going to do? So my buddy says, well, boy, is here. He can play. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm looking, 
Now, there's 30,000 people out there, right? right. I have never played. And I said, wait, wait, hey, Roy can play, you know? So I said, he said, no, no, don't worry about it. You're just going to be rhythm, guitar, and all, you know, I don't want to say, just, you, you can with us all the time. Right. So I go, <laughs> my 15 seconds of fame was to be stuck in the way in the back uh, with the other couple of, of, of band members. And while they did the show, and and we were just as a cover act, but we got them warmed up a bit. Mm. And then I think it was uh, I it might have been Chuck Berry. I don't know. God, it was somebody. Uh, but anyway, um, and then the things really cooked. But that transference, you could feel it in as a musician, and you can feel it in the um, uh, in my cat. <laughs> uh, the um, uh, you know the, the interaction with the audience, right. and that was truly a remarkable experience. I never got that back there again, mm-hmm. but that was luck of the draw of being Johnny on the spot. You know, just because right. who else were they going to get at the last minute? Yeah. So, but that was an interesting uh, situation. But um, the uh, the other part is, yeah, going to some concerts. I went to Woodstock, the original Woodstock. I'm that old, and. Um, <laughs> So uh, the um, being up there uh, was something else. Uh, mm-hmm. That was just a whole scene, if you want to call it. And again, the transference of uh, emotion and passion and everything else. I saw Joe Cocker there, who was one of my great, uh, uh, you know, loves and for. I just always loved Joe Cocker. But uh, I, I cover some, a bunch of his songs nowadays. Um, but um, uh, and uh, there's a whole bunch of songs, and it's that whole emotional transference of the whole couple of days. Something right. you never forget. It's informal, but yet it's real and tangible. Right. You know, you can, and everybody builds on everybody else's. Yeah. You know, it's a little like. You know, a, a building crescendo, a rolling snowball. The more I roll, the bigger it gets. You know, mm-hmm. and it was truly those are two experiences I directly that affected me greatly. Mm-hmm. And of course, just going to many concerts uh, yeah. always is usually mostly moving. Right. Uh, you know, um, uh, I saw John Denver. Uh, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a couple other guys that actually I didn't wasn't really that interested in John Denver's work when I heard it. Right. It's nice, but when I saw him in concert, it was much different. Yeah, uh, it, it's just different, and all it goes on and on the list. But um, the um, uh, uh, it is truly to me uh, something that I think we all can relate to. Right. So those are just a couple of stories about the old days, mm-hmm. but they, they, they have relevance today. Yeah. Uh, and it still hasn't changed, I don't think. That's true of human nation. Now, we're denying that that essence right now, unfortunately, because we have to. Right. But let's hope we can get it back, because I think it's a very important thing. Mm-hmm. The day of the, whether you go to a festival or not, I think for it's it's something uh, that's very valuable, more valuable than people think. You know? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Let's jump back for a second. Um, 
So were you at Woodstock for for the the entire concert? What I can remember of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what gets my drift. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And that was a wild time. Uh, what I remember mostly was the mud, and right. lots of mud. Um, we saw as many acts as we could. Uh, Country Joe and the Fish was another one that I. And there was so many that have played there uh, that just he was on. They were a group I had never heard before, and they did a wonderful job there. And I've since continued on. Like I heard. Their song now, um, uh, Going Down Country, is being played on a commercial I just saw the other day. Okay. On TV, you know? So a lot of this is relevance, and it stays. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, Woodstock was truly uh, something else. Um, we, um, uh, <laughs> we're lucky we <laughs> got home. Well, we got home. <laughs> Let's right. put it that way. But I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't trade that. For and that's truly a precious memory. Of yeah, being there. yeah, it really was, and it was unplanned. I mean, it was planned since they had a concert. But nothing quite like that uh, resonance and and that group uh, transference uh, that you know you can plan. You have to just let it happen, and hopefully it did. And it did them absolutely. Did. And it was very transformative in music too, because music was going through different changes then if you recall dylan had a tough time yeah going electric and uh, he was booed not at woodstock uh, not at woodstock but that was at the, the newport jazz festival i think yeah and he sang maggie's farm and they it was his first real entry into uh electric and um it was not well received and he had no. to work hard to get over it yeah, I understand. Like Pete Seeger had an axe that was going to cut the, cut the cords to the amplifiers. I heard that yeah. story a few times. <laughs> I heard that too. I, I you know, but yeah, uh, Pete Seeger. Well, he was another tremendous. He would. He had an ability to get a crowd going too. Yeah. Amazing. Enough. He would just something about that. He played all over the world. I, I, yeah. Especially when he got blacklisted and right. he was having a difficult time. And he kept going. Um, so, um, you know, it was, let me tell you something, just on Pete's here. Yeah. One of the top selling songs in the world in 1950 uh, was Goodnight Irene. Now, Goodnight Irene uh, was either one, two, or three, way up there. And the story about that was written by Lead Belly, yeah, who, who was an old blues man who comes up, came out of prison uh, and became a star, uh, largely because Alan Lomax founded him. But there was a whole story we don't know that one. But uh, Lead Belly stuff—that was the old days when they used to have the quote-unquote black labels, yeah. And it was completely different separation between mainstream and the black labels. So he. He was able to do fine with the black labels, but he wanted to. They wanted to move him up into the mainstream, basically. And the guy who made that happen, a lot of it was Pete Seeger, because he was with a, a, a fairly new group who were all blacklisted there, called the Weavers. Right. And Weavers took Lead Belly's song, and then they performed it in a, you know, obviously 
socially acceptable environment, and it became a huge, huge hit. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. Lead Belly died six months before he was able to see the the, the simple uh, success of that song he wrote. Yeah, and uh, it was too bad, but uh, that shows you Pete Seeger's nature. He went against a lot, and he was always like that, you know, trying to very inclusive guy, you know. And um, uh, he was another one that used the personal performance to great effect. Uh, it took him on the transference theme, and yeah. uh, that was a big deal. Yeah, it was. And he was doing it without amplifiers and electricity. He was doing it acoustic. Absolutely. And that was, uh, that was a challenge in and of itself. You know, but yeah, he, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, uh, I was a bit younger then. I was younger. I was born in 47. So by the time I started playing, I was 13 or so. We were getting into electric without questioning it that much because okay. all kids played electric back around 1960. Right. You know, it was just really starting to get out. But even though I played acoustic without, amplification for a long time after that but uh, eventually you know we, we were more accepting of it but a little bit older generation like the light um, really the older style didn't go for elect uh, the electrification right at all and when muddy waters came in to do the blues and struggle that was a big deal too uh, mm. back then it was a big these are you know kind of you're tearing down walls to build a new dimension and it's tough work and you take a lot you know you take uh, on your chin uh, while you're doing that in the transition and it takes a lot of courage to do that I yeah. think for some of these guys mm -hmm. now and even like um, as you brought up Lead Belly and Muddy Waters who was a little bit later I also like one of my favorites is Helen Wolf yeah and he was another musician who at first was reluctant to go electric and then once he did, you know, his music exploded. Yes, absolutely. So it was it was like a big it was a big thing back then. It was a choice. Yeah. The choice was big. Yeah, because you got to remember back then, and the we had uh, Greenwich Village. I think we talked talk about this a little bit in our list, so, mm -hmm. but it was largely folk in the beginning, especially yeah. early. Yeah, and wasn't you know wasn't and the folk eventually picked up the blues and then of course the jazz sprung out and, and there were other dimensions that came out of the village that were strong but that's what it was now folk was really an acoustic instrument you right. know and uh based on the acoustic it's a guitar mm -hmm. and it it the purists who like folk didn't easily accept it some loved it but some did not and it was a tough tough transition uh, for the fans as well as the uh, artists to decide to do that. It was right. a big deal. Right. So to jump back to Woodstock, you mentioned Bob Dylan who was not there. Right. Um, he had had his motorcycle accident and at that point this is like the time of like John Wesley Harding album and just before the Nashville skyline when he went yes. a little bit more country you could say. Yes, he changed his. Uh, he, he changed that country. He, uh, yes, you're right. Yeah. Basically, he changed it. 
than when he did Nashville Skyline. So one thing I had heard, I'm curious if you've heard it too, that one of the reasons behind putting Woodstock where it was was because Bob Dylan lived nearby. You know, if you think about Big Pink, those houses were near Woodstock. Yeah, yeah well, it was, right. It was then, because that was all before Jets. Right. Jet Travel had not really been, because you're talking, well, some, nah, Jets were starting coming, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm thinking a little too too far back. But, yes, uh, it's still very popular up in that neck of the woods for ours. Yeah. You know, gotcha. uh, and that could have been. I don't know exactly the whole history. I just just don't know it of how exactly what was the purpose of the promoters and the organizers of that um, in in creating this. I I don't know. It, it very possibly that I wouldn't doubt that that was very true. Yeah, know? from the the things that uh, I had heard, which is just what you hear. Um, but, you know, the industry and fans were very eager to see, you know, what Bob was doing, why he yes. was sort of hiding. And um, to put the the concert almost in his backyard. Yeah, to yeah, just to make it induce him. Uh, right, just to see if they could if they could drag him yeah. back out of hiding. Yeah. But then that was just more so like a, a rumor, but it's I've heard it multiple sources. Yeah. So you never know. I, you know, it would be interesting research, Friday. I just it would be to look back at the original playbills or advertising was done for Woodstock. I've never done that. Maybe you know somebody like that, and uh, see if Bob Dylan's name was an original. I don't know okay. uh, whether he was ever slotted or mentioned that he might be there or to right. promote. I don't know. That would be an interesting little piece of research, a musical history. Because um, uh, it may not, I don't know. It's, it would. It's it's an interesting question. I, I wouldn't doubt it though. I wouldn't. Right. Doubt, you know, if, if if it is true. Gotcha. So what uh, what other music have you personally been working on? You have this new project going on. Um, what else is happening? Yes. Well, um, basically, the um, uh, the new is largely um, a freshening of some older material, but a lot of it I wrote myself. Um, and we do a lot of different stuff on there. It, it, when you, you're going to see it. Um, we've done well in the charting there. We've done very well. We consistently are up. We have a lot of top tens on the SoundClick charts, blues charts. Uh, we've had a number one. Uh, so it's well listened to and well accepted. It's broad based in its theme, though. We have some gospel stuff in there. Okay. Uh, we have a bit of a little country. Uh, one of the great songs, one of the really wonderful songs we did was uh, and it was very well charted. Was a quote unquote uh, so-called country thang. Okay. And that was uh, Didi Van Fritz, um, myself. And uh, Beck Ann, who is a, a female singer and a good friend of ours, and uh, she sings, she does the primary vocal on that. And that, and, and she and her partner named uh, Doug, uh, Douglas Huss, H-U-S-S, uh, wrote that song. And it was really good. It's an interesting song. So 
to answer kind of concisely, there's a little bit of something for everybody here. Mm. Uh, uh, we change, uh, <laughs> we do a lot of things differently, but songs that, uh, mo most of the gospel is more blues oriented, and we add more blues flavor to it, you know. Right. Not, not, I'd say we've maybe got 50% mm, gospel, 50% blues. We also have some songs I wrote, and Diddy also wrote some songs too. Uh, he has a song called Face Mask Blues on there. Okay. That's coming. <laughs> it's, you know. Uh, I wrote a song about it too. Uh, you got to take a chance. And that's on there. It's an upbeat song about where it's music gone during. The, I don't yeah. mention code directly, but you get the you get the gist if you listen to it. Right. That's a blue, kind of a blues song with a upbeat message. It's not gloomy. Uh, there's a lot of different things on there, so it's a it's a wide spectrum. Um, but I think the good part about it is we're introducing younger people. A little bit to some of the older stuff but with a more upbeat modern sound to it you okay know? we did I did an adap adaptation on number one uh, uh, from a Ry Cooter song um, uh, feeling bad blues okay uh, um, but that's just an instrumental and so Jeannie and I got together and we did a Readaptionated lyrics to it. That became number one on Soundbook. Mm. That's an interesting song. Um, and there's a bunch of others. So uh, I guess we're just trying to appeal to posterity and, and kind of be a little bit of a catalyst to kind of bring some of the older true styles, freshen them up, modernize them to a, a, a younger audience for them to listen to and to carry on. You know, mm -hmm. that's the whole idea of it. And that's one of the things that drive us, you know, to do that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, uh, which again, we're just going to take a little stab at these, uh, you know, fan clubs idea. That's yeah. that's important for musicians. So between that and old age, hey, keep pretty busy, you know. No, that's good. <laughs> I mean, th this is the time to keep as busy as you can. Yes. And, and you know, like, because there's really not much else to do. No. Thank God you have, I have, I was just saying that to somebody else out, uh, thank God that we have music, because it's yeah. a great, you can sit all the way to it, and you don't have to go anywhere. You can right. record it, you can listen to it, you can play it back. It's, it is a tremendous, uh, uh, sort of a godsend during this tough time, you know, because what else do you do? <laughs> you know, it's hard. So I think it's a, it's a it's a blessing, you know, to be able to do that yeah. from home now. No, you know, I, and it takes for the time. In in the downtime that I've had this year so far, I've I've found music that I wouldn't have found otherwise without having the downtime to to an interest to do a little digging, you know, yep. and and see what see what you can find. Well, it's a good catalyst sometimes to have time in your hands. Oh and, yeah, because otherwise you wouldn't. You know, it wouldn't do it. And I've been listening to a lot of music that I would never heard before. We were transforming it. Where, um, refresh me about where folks can find what you're up to in your work. Sure. Our our main site now, it's easy enough. The URL is soundclick, one word, S-O-U-N-D, click, soundclick.com forward slash 
the sledgehammer. That's what okay. we got to put in. S L E sledgehammer, just like S L E D G E hammers, plural. And that'll take you right to our our platform on the um, uh, on uh, for that all those songs. And then I personally have also on SoundClick SoundClick.com mm-hmm. forward slash Roy Hanna, my name, R Y H A N N U M one. Uh, the n- number one is at the end of it. So it's soundclick.com forward slash Roy Hannum one. We'll give you other songs that I do just individually and personally. Okay. And that that's a pretty good compilation of most of what we've been doing for a while now. So those two those two platforms would be the way uh, I would say to access us uh, directly. Okay, great, great. Now I'll, I'll put them I'll put them in the in the links. So folks can check out what you're doing. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm so glad to see you this time. And um, glad that you're doing, glad that we're hanging in there. Changing. I remember we used to do on the phone. Yeah. This is a great, uh, so the times are a change. They are. And it's, it's good. You know, it's so good to see you. I, I, I admire all your efforts and work. I mean, I just would encourage anybody to spend some time now that you can't go. I know. <laughs> Listen to some of Al's stuff on on his Planet uh, Assurance um, uh, uh, series. It's tremendous. You got some tremendous stuff there. Really Thank good. you, Ryan. Now it's I'm like working on it. I, it was, um, you know, because of the the virus and everything. I, I hit some some things and did some episodes that would have never happened. Um, yes. the, the specifically at the highlight of that being speaking with Louis Armstrong's daughter uh, over the summer was just, you know, floored me, you know, yeah, I, I didn't even know he had a daughter, you know, so. <laughs> I hear you, that's, no, the, your stuff on, on there is tremendous, I I haven't even been able to see them all, but I, I, I try to watch some of the ones I haven't seen, and it's, uh, it is never one, it's, that I found yet, it's not really worth listening to, and uh-huh. I would encourage anybody to, uh, to uh, certainly uh, go there. I guess you're on Twitter and 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 uh, YouTube, right? And, um, you know. Yeah, the the podcast um, nowadays gets put put out on YouTube with video, and um, it's also on Google Play, Spotify, the podcast app, iTunes, and okay. SoundCloud. So I make it as easy as I can for folks to find it, so that That's nobody cool. has an excuse, you know. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. Well, We'll, we'll keep pointing everybody there too, because it's good, good for right. them to hear uh, your work. And I, again, I mean what I say. I admire it greatly. Okay. I appreciate I really it. I appreciate it. it. Means a lot. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Plant Shivers podcast. It was really great having a conversation with Roy. We got some real big guests coming up. I'm going to fill you in in between now and then. So keep tabs on what I'm doing on Instagram and on the Albert Shivers YouTube channel. On Instagram, it's at Albert Shivers, and on YouTube, it's just Albert Shivers. Thank you again so much for listening. You can find this podcast episode and more on all major podcast platforms and YouTube with the video. Thank you again so much for listening. Enjoy yourself. Have a good time. Be happy. Be healthy. Be good to yourself and be good to somebody else.